Legally Speaking on CFAX 1070, as always, with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Morning, Michael. How you doing? Good morning. Always great to be here. It's a busy day. What's on the agenda? Uh, well, I think the first thing on the agenda deals with the uh, road blockages that we've been uh, seeing. Yes. Uh, we, of course, uh, saw one in Victoria, and apparently uh, the group involved uh, announced plans to uh, block other uh, highways uh, throughout the province or across the country. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, came to mind uh, for me were the first of all the sections that prohibit the section that prohibits that in the criminal code. Uh, people should first of all be aware of that. Uh, the section that prohibits that behavior, that is to say, blocking a uh, highway for the purpose of uh, preventing somebody from doing something they have a lawful right to do, or compelling somebody to do something. Um, the section that prohibits that is Section 423.1G of the Criminal Code. Um, and it's important to know that, uh, well, uh, there is clearly in Canada a right to sort of uh, express yourself, right, or uh, protest. Yes. That does not extend to blocking highways for that purpose, right? Yes. Um, the, and there's no time period uh, that's permitted to do that uh, either. It's much like the fact that you have a right to express yourself doesn't mean you have the right to express yourself by, you know, physically attacking somebody. That, yes. that may be a form of expression, but it is prohibited, right? Interesting. So there's no, and there's, there's no time period? Because I was, I was under the impression that officers, their judgment could change depending on how long somebody had been in the road. So I'm mistaken then. No, there is no time period for which that is permitted. Hmm. It turns on why somebody is doing something, right? Okay. It's like if somebody if somebody incidentally happened to slow up traffic because there was a march of a thousand people down Government Street or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where the purpose of the march wasn't to try to disrupt traffic or obstruct the highway, that wouldn't fall afoul of Section 423.1G of the Criminal Code. Hmm. But where you've got a group of people who say, look, I'm setting out here to obstruct the highway in order to compel some action. My purpose is to be an obstruction of the highway, not that that's the incidental effect of a large march of thousands of people to the legislature or something. That is a criminal offense, uh, and it is immediately so. Hmm. Uh, and there is no time limit permitted. Uh, and so when the police are... Uh, uh, negotiating with somebody over that, it's sort of like uh, negotiating with somebody who's uh, an impaired driver to get them out of their car. There's no time period for which you're permitted to uh, engage in that behavior. <laughs> One right? could imagine trying to, oh, I could do this for 10 minutes if I could make it home in 10 minutes, it's legal. No, there's no amount of time. Okay. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's lots of good discretion exercised by the police, and it's great that they have discretion, right? So, so we would want it to be, right? All right. Um, but there is no time period that you're permitted to do that. And so people shouldn't get the impression that the fact that the police are exercising restraint in arresting people, uh, that uh, somehow they are obliged to do that. Uh, they are not. Hmm. Uh, there's no period of time for which you're permitted to commit that uh, offense before the police arrest you. Uh, if your purpose is to block the highway to compel some activity, that's prohibited, and it is prohibited immediately. Interesting. Uh, the other thing people should be aware of uh, is that there are some sections of the criminal code which would permit individuals, not police, to uh, personally address that kind of conduct uh, in some circumstances. Now, I should begin by saying that in the ordinary course of affairs, it would be 
not wise to be physically intervening uh, with somebody who's committing a, a criminal offense, be it uh, blocking a highway or uh, shoplifting, right? You, you probably don't want to get into a wrestling match uh, in the middle of COVID with somebody. But um, you should, people should be aware uh, that uh, there are uh, provisions of the criminal code, which in some circumstances would permit uh, an individual citizen uh, to respond to uh, behavior of the sort that we've seen. Um, and while in an urban environment, right, where somebody's able to phone the police and they can promptly show up and respond, that is almost always going to be the uh, preferable, safest course of conduct. And I wouldn't want to do anything to suggest otherwise. But people should be aware uh, that uh, it's not um, uh, the case that uh, people are free to commit uh, crimes uh, with impunity if the police can't get there to do something about it. Uh, and so people should be aware of those things. Um, Section 494 of the Criminal Code uh, provides uh, lawful authority for anyone to arrest somebody they find committing an indictable offense. Um, and interestingly, those provisions were extended slightly a few years ago uh, as a result of an altercation between a a store owner trying to uh, arrest a shoplifter. Uh But in any case, uh, if uh, anyone uh, finds somebody who is committing an indictable offense, which would include Section 423.1G of the Criminal Code, that is blocking a highway to uh, or obstructing a blocking or obstructing a highway to compel somebody to abstain from doing something they have a lawful right to do, that is an indictable offense. Uh, And Section 494 would empower uh, anyone uh, to arrest somebody uh, who is engaged in that uh, behavior. Uh, that could be, uh, in fact, uh, relevant, uh, right, particularly if you had uh, that kind of behavior going on in more remote locations. Uh, the group involved with the uh, uh, blocking the uh, highway in Victoria spoke about wanting to block the highway, the Trans-Canada Highway, in various places across the country. Yes, Right, And so if somebody found uh, in a more remote location some uh, group of uh, protesters deciding that they were going to obstruct the Trans-Canada Highway uh, in some location, uh, it is not uh, uh, people who are uh, impeded in, uh, by that activity would not be uh, required to wait for the police to show up in some uh, remote location to remove them. Hmm. Uh, per, uh, individuals would be uh, lawfully entitled to arrest somebody who is engaged in that behavior. Uh, if an individual arrested somebody in that fashion, uh, they then have an obligation to forthwith deliver the person to a peace officer. Hmm. Uh, and so if, for example, you had somebody obstructing the Trans-Canada Highway somewhere uh, for that kind of a purpose, uh, an individual, anyone, would be permitted to arrest them take custody of them, uh, and then either phone the police and say, come and collect this person I've arrested for committing an indictable offense, uh, or, uh, in fact, if that was not possible, if there's no cell service or you're in a particularly remote place, uh, you could, in fact, physically deliver the person you've arrested to the police for them to deal with. Fascinating. Uh, people, should, people should also be aware that Section 27 of the Criminal Code uh, permits anyone to use... Uh, as much force as is reasonably necessary uh, to prevent the commission of an offense uh, for which somebody could be arrested without a warrant, which would include indictable offenses like this one. But you should be aware that that can only be done 
where the uh, activity is likely to cause uh, immediate and serious injury to a person or, prop- or person or property of anyone. Oh. And so, for example, we saw the uh, intentional blockage of the uh, uh, highway, uh, Pape Highway. Yes. Uh, and I think one of the people who was interviewed there had some kind of a medical condition. Yes. So, for example, let's say you had uh, protesters who were obstructing a highway uh, in such a fashion that a person was unable to uh, get to emergency medical care, right? Let's say somebody was having a uh, a baby or they were having a heart attack and they're being driven to the uh, hospital such yes. that the blockage of the highway uh, would uh, cause uh, immediate and serious injury uh, as a result of that. It's not necessary for somebody to say, well, I guess I'm just stranded here with a heart attack or, well, uh, well, their uh, spouse gives birth or something. Yeah. Uh, Section 27 of the Criminal Code permits the use of reasonable force uh, to uh, stop that. Uh, and so the, an individual would have, if there was that kind of likely immediate serious uh, uh, risk of serious injury or damage to property, uh, there would be uh, authority there to use reasonable force to prevent the offense from continuing. And so somebody would be able to lawfully, for example, physically remove the uh, person obstructing the highway so they could carry on to get to the hospital, for example. Hmm. Um, There are other sections of the criminal code that provide for um, physical intervention uh, in uh, activities, including Section 30, which is an interesting one. Section 30 of the criminal code uh, authorizes anyone who witnesses a, quote, breach of the peace, which I should say is not a defined term, huh. uh, to uh, detain somebody uh, who is uh, engaged in a breach of the peace or is about to join or renew a breach of the peace. Uh, and so a clear example of that might be, for example, a riot. Like, let's say you have the Stanley Cup riot going on and somebody's about to go out and try to, you know, light a police car on fire or something, right? Yes you would be permitted to uh, use force to detain somebody to stop them from doing that. Uh, There's also an interesting provision that's perhaps not used too frequently, which expressly deals with riots. And that's section 32 sub 3 of the criminal code. And that section provides that everyone is justified in obeying the order of a peace officer to use force to suppress a riot. If the person A, acts in good faith, and B, the order is not manifestly unlawful. And so the idea there would be, let's say, the Stanley Cup riot is going on, and a police officer says to you, you know, stop that man, he's about to throw a, you know, a lighter on the gasoline or something. Uh, a person would be uh, lawfully justified in obeying the police officer to use force to, you know, grab the man who's about to start a fire uh, or do something else in the riot, as long as the person's both acting in good faith and the order is not, quote, manifestly unlawful. Uh, and so that's another example of where uh, there's lawful authority uh, for somebody to physically intervene. And so the point of all of this, right, isn't to encourage vigilante action, uh-huh. uh, but people should be aware uh, that, uh, first of all, that kind of activity is criminal, and it is criminal from the get-go. You don't have some period of time you can commit a crime under Section 423.1G, uh, and any discretion the police uh, exercise in terms of talking to the people before they arrest them is entirely uh, a function of exercising uh, discretion. It's the okay. entirely would be the equivalent of something like the impaired driver who's locked himself in the car 
Uh, and it would be a matter of, you know, how long are the police going to talk to the person before they, you know, smash the window and pull the person out and take them to the police station. Indeed. Right? It is precisely that. There's no time period that's permitted. Uh, and before people think they can engage in that sort of uh, behavior simply because they feel strongly about an issue, they should be aware of that. Uh, and individuals that are impacted by it uh, should also be aware that while there are all kinds of obligations to act reasonably, uh, they are not left uh, powerless. Uh, where you have somebody who is uh, choosing to do something like uh, block a highway to try to make some uh, kind of a point. Uh, and there are clearly circumstances in which uh, somebody who witnesses that or is impacted by that uh, would be legally authorized to use reasonable force to arrest the person and deliver them to the police, uh, or uh, in cases where there is uh, an imminent uh, risk of serious injury or damage to property, uh, there is a, uh, authorization in the criminal code uh, to use reasonable force to prevent that from happening. Uh, and so uh, people should not think that uh, they are left powerless or that uh, people engaged in that uh, uh, kind of conduct are permitted to act with impunity or indeed to do it uh, at all. Thank you for this, Michael. I was mistaken in my understanding of more than one element of this conversation, so it's very beneficial to all of us. There's a lot there, right? Yeah. Uh, the uh, And I think the, the first important point is the one that I mentioned, which is there is no uh, right to obstruct a highway uh, for the purpose of compelling somebody to do something or preventing them from doing something they're not permitted to do. That is not permitted. It's not permitted at all. Yeah. Uh, and it turns on why somebody's doing something, right? But clearly what's been going on, at least with the uh, most recent uh, uh, activity uh, is that it, it's not a matter of there being some incidental uh, dislocation because of a bunch of people marching with placards or something, right? Indeed, a bunch of people marching down the street with placards could in, have the incidental effect of slowing traffic, yes. right? Uh, and that's not going to rise to the uh, criminal threshold under Section 423. But when you have a group setting out saying, we are here for the purpose of blocking or obstructing the highway because we wish to compel people to do something or not to do something, uh, that is immediately a, a criminal offense. And this section is actually entitled intimidation, uh, and it uh, lists other examples of where that kind of behavior is, uh, uh, is criminal. Uh, and so I, I think on the most recent occasion, the police were quoted as telling the people, look, what you're engaged in here is a criminal behavior. Uh, and uh, given the uh, explanation for what was going on and why this was happening, uh, it seems quite clear that it is criminal behavior. Uh, and again, there's no period of time that that's permitted. Michael Mulligan, legally speaking on CFAX 1070, I learn new things every single week. My understanding of this now far better than it was before this conversation. I hope many of you out there can say, can say the same. We're going to take a quick break. More after this. It's Adam Sterling on CFAX 1070. All right, 250-386-1161-STAR-1070. We'll do more open lines coming up later on in the program. For the moment, though, we're going to continue benefiting from the knowledge and experience of Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Very useful information in the prior segment, Michael. And again, thank you for that. What else is on the agenda today? 
the next matter on the uh, docket uh, is a uh, troubling case of a uh, babysitter uh, who had was sentenced to a year in prison uh, after she pled guilty uh, to criminal negligence causing uh, death uh, uh, back in 2013. Uh, and the background of it is that the babysitter was looking after a 17-month-old uh, who tragically uh, drowned in a small amount of water in a bathtub uh, when the babysitter apparently wasn't uh, uh, watching carefully uh, the child. The uh, reason the case is now uh, back and quite troubling in terms of what uh, has uh, been uh, revealed um, has to do with the uh, doctor uh, who offered an opinion that was the basis of a Crown originally trying to prosecute this woman for murder, um, and the failure of the uh, Crown to tell the uh, woman or her lawyer uh, about uh, problems with that witness, uh, and indeed a failure of the Crown to provide uh, disclosure of a large amount of material relating to both the doctor and the fact that this uh, young child uh, had been recently hospitalized for a brain infection uh, two months before her tragic death. Uh, and the reason that's a real worry um, is that in a criminal case, one of the basic principles is that the Crown has an obligation to provide what's called disclosure uh, to the accused person or their lawyer. And the idea there would be to turn over to the accused person or the person's lawyer evidence uh, that might be helpful in one direction or the other in terms of whether the person's guilty of the offense. Uh, and it's that, that obligation is right at the core of how our criminal justice system functions. Uh, and what apparently occurred here, uh, and it was uh, agreed by a special prosecutor who was appointed to review this case now, um, is that the Crown had in its possession 140 pages of material, including material that called into question uh, the opinion of the doctor that the Crown was going to rely upon at trial, uh, and uh, all this medical information, which showed that there may have been a, a pre-existing medical reason uh, that contributed to what happened tragically to this young child. And the Crown at the time simply didn't tell the uh, accused person or her lawyer about that. Uh, they held on to this 140 pages of material. Um, and as a result of that, despite the fact that this woman uh, pled guilty based on the information she had and served her sentence already, uh, and despite the fact that uh, a number of years have now passed, uh, the Court of Appeal uh, has uh, just given the woman uh, a very long extension of time to file an appeal to her conviction. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that was with the consent of the special prosecutor that was uh, uh, appointed to review the case now. Uh, and so, uh, ultimately, it, uh, this woman will be able to uh, have an appeal heard now about whether her conviction, which was based on her pleading uh, guilty uh, way back then, um, should be overturned uh, because the uh, Crown didn't provide to her that very important information about the reliability of the uh, doctor's uh, opinion that led to the charge, uh, and as well, the uh, very important medical information about the young child who died. Uh, and so uh, it will be very interesting to watch how this case now uh, unfolds. Uh, but it is a, a really important reminder, I think, to all of us in the 
justice system uh, about how important some of those principles are. That is to say, the principle of providing disclosure so that somebody has all of the information uh, necessary to make uh, a proper decision about what they should do in their case. And where the uh, Crown fails to uh, tell somebody about that kind of uh, critically important information, it has the possibility of leading to very serious miscarriages of justice. Um, and uh, this uh, case may be yet another example of uh, of one of those. Um, uh, and the uh, even though in this case it ultimately was a uh, case where the uh, woman pled guilty to this case, the charge of criminal negligence, uh, the reason that occurred uh, is that she was charged with murder, which would have led, if she was convicted, to life imprisonment. Uh, and that charge was premised on the opinion of this doctor, uh, who uh, whose view had been discredited uh, by peers that had reviewed the opinion, uh, and the uh, Crown simply failed to tell her or her lawyer about that uh, when extracting this plea of guilty uh, to criminal negligence causing death. So it's an example of how uh, a failure to provide disclosure of very important information uh, can uh, impact uh, on uh, those kinds of decisions. And it's also, I suppose, an example of how uh, the coercive effect of, you know, telling somebody you may go to prison for life uh, could lead to them pleading guilty to something uh, that they may not have been uh, properly guilty of. And so we're a number of years after the fact. The woman's already served her prison sentence. Uh, but uh, hopefully now in the Court of Appeal, we'll be able to get to the uh, uh, bottom of what happened uh, and whether that uh, conviction was proper. Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defence Lawyers. We appreciate the benefit of your knowledge and experience always. Michael, thank you so much, and until next week. Thank you. Stay safe.